So as we come to look at that reading, let's pray together. Father, help us as we listen to your word, to hear what you are saying to us, to understand and to be encouraged. May my words speak faithfully the truth of your word. Amen. Well, who is in charge? As we look at the world around us, I guess you might think of the um, election in the United States and the big question there, who is going to be in charge of the United States? Um, maybe by the time you watch this, it has been resolved, or maybe there's still lots of legal wranglings or uncertainty about the final results. But it's a big and important question, who is in charge? As we see the effects of COVID-19 on our world, we see the leaders of all sorts of different countries trying to um, find a way through the difficulties of trying to protect the economy, protect people's health, protect the health services against this um, ravaging virus and being forced into all kinds of U-turns and changes of restrictions and difficulties. We wonder, who is in charge? Has anyone got power to deal with this virus? As we come to that question of who is in charge, um, it's actually really helpful to look at the book of Revelation in our Bible. It's a book that comes at the end of our Bibles. Uh, it's the last one. And it's one that actually a lot of people find quite difficult because it's full of these sort of weird and wonderful images that are hard to understand. And so it's important to ask as um, we come to this, well, who is Revelation written for? And, and the answer is simply really what John says in verse 9. He says, look, I, John, your brother and companion, he's the one writing Revelation. And he says, I'm your brother and companion. To, to the other Christians that he's writing to, he's saying, look, I'm one of you, I'm writing to those who are like me. And he says, look, I'm your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Revelation is written for Christians, and how does John describe Christians? He describes Christians as those that are suffering, and yet in God's kingdom. Those whose task is to endure, to persevere, to keep hold of the faith without compromise in following Jesus. And at a time that John was writing, John himself was put on, in, sent to an island in exile because he was preaching the gospel, there are indications that some of the churches were suffering because of persecution from those who didn't like the fact that they were following Jesus. But maybe they're suffering in all kinds of other ways as well. To be a Christian doesn't mean to be um, kept safe from the suffering and pains of this world. But it does mean to be part of God's kingdom. To have hope. And so we endure, we keep going despite the suffering and even through the suffering. And Revelation is written to Christians that are struggling. And, and it may be that at this time, particularly with the pandemic that's going on at the moment, that seems to be making problems in people's lives much worse than they actually are in other way, would, would otherwise be, that you may feel like you're someone suffering. Maybe the fact you can't come to church this Sunday makes you feel like you're suffering. Well, Revelation is written for you. It's written to encourage you, to inspire you, to strengthen you as you seek to endure onwards with the Christian faith, even through tough times like now. So it's a good book to read, and yet it's full of those strange pictures, isn't it? So how do we read, or how should we read Revelation? Well, all the different pictures that there are in Revelation, and in this passage you would have heard quite a few of them, there are pictures with meaning. 
But actually, we should be used to that, shouldn't we? I mean, take the poppy that I'm wearing. Um, when we see a poppy, we instantly think of Remembrance Sunday. We instantly think of the horrors of the wars um, of the 20th century, the many men that lost their lives fighting for our country. And in a way, a poppy as a flower's got nothing to do with that. Poppies have been growing for millennia in the same fields. And yet we chose it as a symbol, partly because of the reds, links with the blood of the soldiers that died, um, and also because they grow in the fields that um, a lot of the soldiers died in. And yet the most important thing is we, we associate this symbol, this picture of a poppy with Remembrance Sunday. And actually, as Revelation shows us lots of different pictures and piles picture upon picture upon picture, as a kaleidoscope of pictures, if you like, all those pictures have meanings. And they're symbolic meanings that, although we don't always understand them, actually are rooted in the world that John wrote to, and particularly in the world of people that would read the Bible and God's Word. And many of the pictures, actually, I could say all the pictures in this passage, link with similar pictures in the Old Testament. There are pictures with meaning. And, and where the meaning really matters, where we really need to know what the meaning is, actually, we're told what it is. So in the book of Revelation, we've got this, this picture of the, the golden lampstands. They're quite important, aren't they, in this, in this picture here. And we're told in verse 20 that these golden lampstands stand for the churches. Each lampstand stands for one of the seven churches that John is initially writing to. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And yet that's also a picture from the Old Testament that many people would have recognised. So right back um, when the temple, the tabernacle, was first built, um, there was a lampstand. There was an important part of that to provide lamp in, in, the, in the inner sanctuary. It had to be kept going all the time. And that lampstand became symbolic of the temple itself. Uh, and in, in many ways in, in Judaism became symbolic of the people of God who worshipped at the temple. And Zechariah, um, in chapter 4 of his prophecy, as the people at that time were, were coming, returning from exile, they were feeling oppressed, they were feeling weak and, and um, feeble as a group of God's people, and yet they were seeking to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And when Zechariah writes to them, he writes visions to encourage them. And in, those vis in one of those visions, there is a picture of a lampstand to remind them that this is God's temple. And so here, John has this vision of a lampstand, and the lampstand, or seven lampstands, and the lampstands stand for the people of God, for the church. And there's seven of them to represent the seven churches that John was initially writing to. But also seven is a number of completeness, this, this sense that this is the whole church throughout the world and throughout time. And rather than the one lampstand that represented Israel in the Old Testament, now the church is multinational. And so there's seven lampstands to represent all the church throughout the nations. It's a picture with meaning. But having said that, we need to be careful not to get too caught up in all the pictures. There's lots of pictures in Revelation. Um, we mustn't get caught up with the, seeing the wood for the tree, um, failing to see the wood for the trees. And so the second thing is, it's important that we look for the overall impression of what is going on. 
Uh, my family and I watched um, a romantic comedy recently for, on Netflix. It was called Holidays. Um, you may have seen it, you may not. It doesn't matter too much. It's not a great film, but it was, it was an okay film. It was there to entertain, um, to make us laugh, and so on. And that was the point of the film, to make us laugh. And if you watched a film, you would probably enjoy it, and it'd make you laugh at points. And yet, at points in the film, there, were, there, were deeper, there was deeper meanings that you wouldn't necessarily spot. So at one point, um, the couple involved romantically um, do a dance where the, the, the girl or the woman is lifted up um, above the dance floor in, in a sort of pose that's amazing. And, and it's reminiscent, it reminds us of the film Dirty Dancing from the 1980s. Uh, it sort of takes the mickey out of that a bit. Um, and there's another point at the end of the film where uh, the American woman um, is shouting across this crowd of people in a public space to the Australian boyfriend, declaring her undying love, even though it feels like the relationship's falling apart. And for those that remember, back to um, Crocodile Dundee, again from the 1980s, um, that's a deeper meaning because that was a similar scene at the end of that film, where actually it was a man, Crocodile Dundee, the Australian man, shouting across a crowded group of people in a public place, declaring his undying love to this American woman. Um, and actually, if you see that deeper meaning, you see there's that clever switch going on there. And if you see the deeper, deeper meanings, you get a bit extra from the film, but um, Fiona, Fiona and me, we, we grew up as we were children in the 80s, and so we, we, we've seen those films, Dirty Dancing and Crocodile Dundee, and we, so we got the links. But our daughters, who are both teenagers and weren't around at all in the 1980s and haven't seen those films, would have completely missed them. And yet they still enjoyed the film. They still got the overall impression of the film, the overall feel, the, 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 the humour and the fun of it. And it's the same with Revelation. Yes, there are lots of pictures. Yes, there's lots of things here, but you won't understand all the pictures. You won't understand every meaning. And that doesn't matter. The book of Revelation is still there to encourage you, to strengthen you through the, the suffering and the pain and the difficulties of this life and following Jesus. Don't let the individual pictures you don't understand stop you from getting the encouragement from the book overall. You need to look for the overall impression that the book is giving. And actually, as we come in this passage in Revelation chapter 1, there's this image, this vision of, of Jesus, the Son of Man. Uh, and there's lots of pictures around it. You've got, um, you got the robe, the golden sash. You've got the, the, the hair as, as white as snow. You've got his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were bronze of like bronze glowing in a furnace, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's image after image after image. And I could take you through and go through all the Old Testament links and explaining them, but actually it doesn't matter. Look for the overall impression. And what is the overall impression that we're meant to get about Jesus from this passage? Well, three things, very quickly. First of all, we're meant to see that Jesus, the heavenly Christ, is in the midst of the church. Um, the picture here is of um, the Son of Man. He's wearing a robe and a golden sash, and he's walking around. He's in the middle of the lampstands. Remember, the lampstands stand for the church. Uh, and his picture is like a picture of the high priest in the temple with the lampstand there. They would have had to tend it each day. They would have had to trim the wick. They would have had to add olive oil in. They would have had to relight it from time to time. The high priest would have looked after the, 
the candles in the temple. temple. And the picture here is of Jesus looking after the candles in his heavenly tent temple. And yet, the lampstands stand for the church. And so what is the picture saying? The picture is saying that Jesus is in the midst of the church. Jesus is there. He's supporting. He's encouraging. He's reigniting. He's um, enlightening and helping the church. When times of suffering come, when, when we feel under pressure as a church, when we feel under pressure as Christians, we can feel that like God is absent. We can feel that like though, though Jesus is no longer there. But the encouragement this picture gives is that Jesus is still there in our midst. He is still caring for us. He is still encouraging us. He is still supporting us. He has not abandoned us. And as Christians, we should, knowing God's presence is there like that, knowing Jesus is there with us in that way, surely that could encourage and strengthen us through whatever sufferings or troubles we're going through, whether it be due to the pandemic or not. Jesus is in the midst of his church. But secondly, this picture wants to show us that Jesus is in charge of history. That image of his hair is white as snow, gets that sense of someone who's ancient. Uh, and that's picked up in a number of ways in chapter 1. So actually, if you look at verse 17, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. The picture of the, the white hair also reminds us of Daniel chapter 7, where God sits on the throne and he's described as having white, hair as white as snow. Um, and he sits on the throne above and over all the nations to judge them. And we're told here in, in chapter 1, if you go back to verse 5, it says that Jesus is ruler of the kings of the earth. And some of the other images come from Daniel chapter 10, where there's um, this heavenly figure that tells Daniel about what's going to happen to the, to the world in the centuries that are to come um, between Daniel's time and Jesus' time. All these pictures point to and, and keep building on this idea that Jesus, the heavenly Christ, is in charge of history. And actually, that's the point of the book of Revelation in a way. In verse 9, um, John is told, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. It's trying to say that this, the pictures here of, about how history will unfold not the details of what exactly is going to happen, but the sort of pattern uh, and the way that things will happen. But throughout it all, it's there to remind us that although horrible things will happen, although there'll be wars that we remember today on Remembrance Sunday, although there'll be pandemics that we're suffering at the moment, that God is still in charge. God is the one controlling it all. Jesus is in charge of everything. And so we don't need to be afraid that things are getting out of control. We don't need to be afraid when our politicians seem to be struggling to um, work out how to deal with the virus. We don't need to be afraid when wars come because Jesus is in charge. And not only is he in charge of history, but he's in control of our destiny. In verse um, 18, it says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the key of death and Hades. Hades was the, the Greek name for the place of the dead. 
Jesus says he was the one who died, who was dead. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He went to Hades. And yet God raised him from the dead. As it says um, back in verse 5, he was the firstborn from the dead. Jesus broke out of the prison of death and came into that life that is now forevermore, the resurrection life that he has. But he didn't just break out of prison. He took the keys with him. He says he holds the keys of death and Hades. One thing we all know and one thing that maybe coronavirus reminds us of is that we all one day will die. And as Christians, though, we don't need to worry about that. We know, as Christians, we know that is not the end because Jesus has control of our destiny. Jesus has the keys to release us from the prison of death and to bring us to follow him into the resurrection of eternal life. And as you get to the end of the book of Revelation, there is those chapters that describe the new heaven and the new earth. Don't get caught up in the details. See the overall impression there. Jesus is in the midst of the church, but he's in charge. He's a, he's a Lord of history. He's a Lord of the nations. He's a judge of the universe. And he's in control of yours and my destiny. So how do we respond to all of this? Firstly, we need to be encouraged. Whatever we're going through, whatever struggles we're facing, whether it be because of COVID-19 or for other reasons, when you feel pressured to give up on your faith, when you feel pressured to compromise in your faith, be encouraged. Jesus is there with you. Jesus is above and beyond anyone who may be pressurizing you, even if they're the powerful state. Jesus is there and will control your destiny. But also this picture of Jesus isn't a sort of cosy, comfortable picture. It's quite a scary picture as well. That, that thought of the sword coming out of his mouth, a double-edged sword, um, is a picture of judgment. And yet it's from his mouth, it reminds us of the importance of his word to us. And it's a word that encourages us, but it's also a word that warns us. John is told that he's to write down what he sees. And in the next two chapters, um, those seven churches are each given a message through their angel, a message from this heavenly Christ. And the messages contain words of encouragement, but they also contain words of warning. We need to take the word of Christ seriously. When we see who Christ is, when we see this heavenly vision, we realize we must listen to his word. So be encouraged. Christ is in control. Christ is in charge. Christ is in the midst of his church. But take him seriously. Join us over the coming weeks to listen to what he says to those seven churches and what he says to us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it's a word that is alive today and speaks to us. Help us to be encouraged at the thought that you are in charge. But help us also to listen and take seriously your word. In your name we pray. Amen.